I'd like to welcome up Mark and Cameron. Do you guys want to come along? So Mark and Justine, his wife, Mark and Justine Wimble, are, uh, well, let's give them a round of applause first, and I'll tell you that. So Mark and Justine Wimble, they are part of One Life Church, and they lead the site in Durban North. And uh, they're with us from Thursday. Uh, Mark and Justine both got to minister to a number of elders on Thursday uh, afternoon. They're involved with our Young Adults Collective on Friday night, which I heard was incredible. I heard it was absolutely amazing. And it's a privilege that we get to have uh, him share with us this morning. Cameron Rice is joining as well. And he's also, I've heard you've had some great impacts, even on the side over dinners, over bras and the likes. So we really are privileged and grateful that you guys traveled up here. They're leaving back today. Um, but yeah, they can share a bit on what's on their hearts. Morning, morning. I am, I'm not Mark's wife, um, but yeah, I did travel up with him. Um, thank you so much for allowing us into your space. I've had such cool um, dinners, like Greg said, um, and lunchtime with some really awesome people. I'll just tell you a little bit about our site and um, our hope in that you can pray for us. Um, we are situated in Durban North um, in Glen Eagles Drive. I live in Glen Eagles Drive, so um, my house is basically the church, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, but we, um, yeah, our main mandate is to, to know Jesus and to make him known. We want to, we want to do that. Um, what we pray or what we ask for you guys to pray for is um, four major areas at the moment, I feel, I don't know about Mark, um, but one, baptisms. When we planted, we, we said that um, baptisms are often a byproduct of what's really going on in people's hearts, um, and it's often a good indication of where people are salvation-wise because it's a step of obedience. And so, um, yeah, we want to see baptisms in, of fire, of water, of the Spirit. We want to see God really intervene and that people will really have genuine salvation um, in our church. Um, we want to uh, pray into our young guys. God's really doing a young, a young, yeah, there you go, thank you, woo, um, Carl in the back there. Um, we, yeah, we, we feel like God's raising up really strong leaders. We've just brought a 16-year-old boy onto deaconship, which is awesome, um, and that's, that's kind of an indication of, of what God's doing with our young guys, um, and it, it, we hope and pray that that is um, the next generation that's going to take charge of this forceful kingdom and run with it. Um, my third thing that I would hope that you could pray for is um, just giftings, that God will stir up giftings in amongst the church. Um, when we pray for revival, often in times of revival, there's an outpouring of the giftings. Um, and when all of those parts of the body work together, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and so if the giftings can be stirred up, that would be great. And then Paul does this beautiful thing in the Bible. After most of his teachings or his writings, he says, pray for us, pray for me, pray for me as a leader. And um, I think that that echoes the heart of Mark. Um, we never want to feel like we can do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and God's intervention in our leadership. Um, and we love the fact that we get to play team. So pray for our team um, and that God will protect us, God will intervene, um, and that God will use us because we are heading into a space, and particularly off the back end of COVID, um, where um, God's doing a real special thing with our guys, and uh, we want to be in a position where we can, we can really just love on his sheep 
um, and love them the way that they need to be loved. Um, and yeah, and then just give thanks for the greatest rugby team in the world. So <laughs> hand over to Mark. Some of you don't believe that God can use rugby players. Cameron's a professional rugby player. He plays for the Sharks. And uh, he's just come onto our eldership team about four weeks ago. So uh, wonderful to have you, Cam. Well done. A very warm welcome to you. If you are visiting for the first time, I was thinking this morning, if you're visiting for the first time, so am I. You're in great company, and I trust that you've had a good service this morning, and uh, we're going to have a good time together for the next few minutes. It's really a privilege to be here. While we were worshiping, I felt God just uh, highlight this word to me, protector and protection, and uh, I felt like God saying to some today is that you need to know that He's going to protect you. He's going to protect your lot. He's going to protect your household. Uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017, a man sent me a photo, and uh, Above my house, there was this giant rainbow, and uh, all I could see in this photo was actually the open gate. It was 12 o'clock in the day, and our gate was wide open, and I thought to myself, my wife has left the gate open. And then I realized there's this rainbow above my house, and I instinctively felt God say to me, I'd just been diagnosed with cancer, felt God saying to me, I'm going to protect your household, and nothing will break the perimeter of your household. And I want to remind you today again that God protects you uh, in your finances. He protects you with your health. And things happen, and I'm not pre preaching a prosperity gospel alone here, but I am saying this, is that we can trust God. There's a scripture that says, I said before you life and death, choose life. I had to lean on that very much during my early days of having cancer. Choose life. Live. Take hold of the moment. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do this morning, uh, Justine does send her regards. I'm sorry that she had to uh, go back to uh, Peter Marisburg, Durban. Uh, she's with our little guys there, but she sends her love and her regards. Uh, we're going to have a look at a scripture out of Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 11. You can maybe bring it up behind me. And uh, welcome to you if you're online. I trust that you'll be able to follow us this morning. Uh, when we were in Israel in 2018, uh, we spent time all the way through the nation, but uh, we really enjoyed our time around the Lake of Galilee, and uh, there's many little villages and towns and little monuments and uh, things that you can commemorate, particularly out of the Bible, but the, the one area we went to was where they say the Sermon on the Mount was preached, and uh, there's nothing hugely spectacular about it. It's on a little bit of a slope, that's what they say. Uh, there's water on the edge. Uh, it's pretty random, but they say that either Jesus' disciples or a lot, much larger crowd were there, and they were listening to him give these amazing teach, teachings that really give rise to the moral fabric of society today. Many constitutions are built on these teachings, and so we're going to have a look at them uh, very quickly, just uh, one particular part of the teachings of Jesus, and that's in Matthew 5 verse 11. It says, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Isn't that good news? No, it's not good news. It's not good news at all. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I had a lady come to me recently. She's got four children. Uh, she's recently divorced and uh, she was asking for some help. She says, my oldest boy is being bullied at school. He says, what, what do I do? So I said, well, 
you know, tell me a little bit about it. She says, I've spoken to one or two leaders about this situation. I said, well, what did they say? She said, well, I spoke to the one guy and he said, when Josh gets bullied, tell him to just swing. I thought, that's a lot of fun, hey? Whatever's in front of you, just swing. If you make contact, they'll know. And I said to her, you know, that's, that's all good and well, but I, I don't know whether Jesus' teaching is all about that, where he says, you know, turn the other cheek and give another cloak and go the extra mile. This is what Jesus was doing. He was upgrading the law. He was upgrading the Old Testament. He was upgrading this eye for an eye, tooth for tooth kind of uh, a, a position that society took. The, the second picture is you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Third picture, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, I'd like to encourage you with this. Coming together is not all about new wonderful revelation. It's about revisiting age-old truths. That's what we're going to do this morning. What was Jesus saying here? He's looking at a culture that the people were living in, and he's saying there's a way that Christ followers are to live, behave, and action their lives in the predominant culture. And he says this, he says, you will be salt, he says you will be light, and you will be hurt. This is altogether a different teaching, and he embellishes on that. And it's very profound because what Jesus is saying, he's saying the culture that you live in, friends, it's a decaying culture. Uh, we might say the same today. The world that we live in is decaying, it's rotting, it's falling away. Now here's the good news is that the Bible teaches this timeless principle that there's nothing new under the sun. And so you might be under the pump or looking at life saying, the evil is increasing and it's never been like this before, but in some regards, it's always been like this. The world is just a dark, cursed place. It's profound because Jesus is saying there's much darkness around and actually you can be a light. And it's profound because he says it's a dangerous place. It's hostile. It's not just the way that people come against you because of your faith in me, but it's also the way that people come against each other. And the hostility of that. So let's have a look at these three pictures. And we'll explore them for a little bit. And then we're going to pray. The first picture is salt. Be the salt in a culture of decay. Now you've got to remember, Jesus is speaking to a very unimpressive and marginalized people. And he says, you are the salt. That's great news, right? Because when I look at life, I look at people that are unimpressive and marginalized. And I say, as you get your act together, as you clean up. As your CV becomes more impressive, maybe then you'll in time become the salt. And Jesus says, no, by virtue of the fact that you're following me, you are the salt. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background says, you are the salt. There's something that you can trust that is really powerful for society. Now, salt has three functions. We will possibly know this. The first is to preserve. The second is purity. And the, and the third is healing. Let's have a look at 
preserving. We use salt in this day and age to maybe season our food or season a bit of built on. In fact, I was in Namibia recently and the pastor there, as I was leaving, he gave me a whole lot of biltong and then he pulled me aside when my wife wasn't looking. He gave me one stick of biltong and he turned it over and there was a whole lot of mold on it. And he said, listen, don't show your wife this, but when you get home, just put it in the sun and, you know, just cut it off, etc." which I did. I wasn't going to throw the biltong away. But salt in those days was used to preserve fresh meat, particularly in Middle Eastern culture where it was very hot, uh, pieces of fish or fresh meat would be covered with the salt to preserve it, to, to, to give it a little bit of extra life. And what Jesus is saying, he's really saying this, is that the world is in a state of decay. The world is rotting away. And apart from you, my disciples, the world will ultimately rot. The, Jesus would be saying this to you as a Christ follower. You might be just out of the blocks in your faith. You got saved on Friday night or a week ago or maybe a year ago. You say, what good am I to the world? Jesus would say to you, apart from you, the world is going to rot. Your family will rot around you. It's a profound truth. Maybe to bring it to earth, you think of someone that's come from a long line of alcoholism or abuse and some of the difficulties that have been placed on them that really limit their trajectory in life. And then they bump into Christ followers. They bump into the church. They bump into Jesus. And what Jesus is intimating here is as they bump into you and I, actually we can stop the rot in their life that would ordinarily happen. And that's the testimony of many of us here today. If we were left to our own devices, we would have ended up over there, but for Christ, but for the church. Christ turned us around and he, he preserved us and he stopped that decay. There's a lady I met in Namibia. I chuckled uh, because, I mean, Vintuk is very far from Durban, right? It takes like three days overland trip. And when I met her, she said, I come from your city. Can you imagine my excitement? And she said, I, I went to that school and I lived in that suburb and I realized that there was a lot of commonality and I was getting more and more excited and she was deadpan. And I said, well, how did you enjoy uh, your time in Durban? I mean, why would you ever want to leave the city that God has sent me to? And she just said this. She said, yo, it's a hectic city, eh? <laughs> I was like very taken aback and wounded in that moment. I walked away and I thought, I wonder what that's about. I spoke to one guy and I realized that actually her time in a liberal, dark, decaying city as a Christ follower growing up was really, really difficult. And now she's ended up in a new city where she's in a, a little bit of an enclave with her community and some people that think the same way as her. It's just a lot better here than it is there. And many of us live like that. Jesus, if only I could have like-minded people around me that all live by the same conviction, etc., etc. And I look at it and I think altogether different. What a wonder to be able to be sent into a place where you can have effect. And this is the truth of what Jesus is teaching. Is actually Christians move in. They don't run out. They rush in because they know not what they can do, but what's inside of them. In the same way that Jesus Christ, he didn't tap out when he looked at the moral decay of the world. He rushed in as a salt of sorts 
In the same way, Jesus looks at your life and mine and says, we too are the salt. Second thing is salt brings purity. He says, if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, the truth of salt is that it can't actually lose its saltiness. And the principle that's being taught here is leaning on what the merchants of the day would do. They would take salt and they would empty a portion of the bag and they'd add in other white minerals and they'd sell it as if it's salt. And when the people would use the salt, it would not have the same effect as pure salt. And Jesus' teaching here is actually you can allow all sorts of other infiltrations into your life that can erode and eradicate the holiness and the, the standards and the convictions that I've put in your life. Don't let it happen because your effect will change in the world. I feel like for some of us today, God's wanting to almost swing us back and say, the, the convictions and the first love of old, come back to that. That's the pure salt. Don't allow the minerals of the world to mix and mingle with that which is on the inside. The third thing is healing. Salt heals. If you've got a mouth, mouth ulcer, the remedy, just put a bit of salt on there. If you've got a graze on your knee, just go and swim in the sea. And it heals a lot quicker. One of the healing agents of salt would be with food. We grew up eating white milli meal porridge. And uh, we only ever knew white milli meal porridge with a teaspoon of salt in it to just write it and then you could add your sugar. It was very apparent when that salt was not there. The odd occasion when mom had forgotten to put the salt in, someone would just say something's missing or did you forget the salt? It's just very apparent. And this is what Jesus is teaching. It's very apparent when the salt is missing in the world. In 2 Kings chapter 2, Jesus, or sorry, Elisha, he engages with a, a city, Jericho. It's a very influential city, but there was a problem with Jericho in that there was a river that ran through it that was polluted, and that river was a life source to the people. And because of the pollution, people were dying, there was health issues, etc. And Elisha goes to the city and God says to him, throw a little bit of salt into the river and the river is righted. It's healed and it becomes a life source. That's the picture of what Jesus does with your life and my life. He says there's a polluted river in this world and actually just a little bit of salt, the collective salt being poured into the river actually brings it right. And the beautiful thing about that picture is that salt is, in essence, it's self-sacrificing. It dissolves. You don't even realize it's there, but the effect of it is seen. You see, one grain of salt by itself is maybe not very effective, but you put just a few granules together, it actually does have impact. It's good news. That's why we get together in small groups. I'd like to encourage you if you've been part of a life group, get going again. They're good times. If you're not part of a small group, that's the salt granules getting together, encouraging each other to be effective in the world. Second picture that Jesus gives, be the light in a culture of darkness. What is Jesus implying is that the world is very dark. It's very dark. And Jesus talks about two sources of light. One is a city and one is a lamp. And the picture of a city is leaning on, again, the culture of the day, 
the city builders would build in the valleys close to the river source. And that was the most cost-effective way to do it. To build a city on a hill was very costly, but it was very effective for the weary traveler. A city on a hill could be seen from hundreds of k's away because, I mean, we battled to understand this in Joburg where there's never not lights on. There's just lights on everywhere. You say, Eskim, okay, you got me there. Maybe that block, but not that block. There's lights on all, so we battle to lean on this analogy. But think about the darkest night where there's no light and yet there's a city on the hill. From hundreds of miles away, a weary traveler can look and say, I've got my bearings. Jesus says, your life is like a light on the hill. Weary travelers in society looking, don't know which way to turn and yet they see a light. Get their bearings. The second picture is that of a lamp and you almost have a sense that Jesus is leaning on a bit of humor here saying a lamp, you don't put it under a a shade. That's ridiculous, right? There would have been a bit of a chuckle. Uh, I went to the Kango Caves with my wife, I think it was on our honeymoon, and uh, we enjoyed it. And there was one little part of the tour, if you've ever been there, where they're in that big area where they host concerts and various other things, and it's very impressive. It's underground. And they say, we're going to turn off the lights for just a moment now. And they turn off all of the lights, and they just put on this little flicker in the midst of the darkness. And it's so powerful. And that's the, the encouragement that Jesus would give us today. Is actually, you're not one light amongst the city of lights. Actually, it can be the darkest night. Talking of your work. Talking of your family. I always think back on my family. My dad was a first generation Christian in a family where no one knew Jesus. He was a little matchstick. In the darkest night, and yet, light shone. We've got a cousin here today. There, there are many of us that are Christ followers now, down the generations, because of one little matchstick. can be the darkest night, friend, and light is effective, it's powerful. And here's the good news about light, if you had to take a bulb. A bulb in itself is just a bulb. The only thing that makes it effective is the power source. God looks at your life and my life as well and he says, actually what's going to make you effective is not what you muster up in yourself, it's being connected to the power that is Jesus. He said, how do I shine my light? And Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds shines light. Now the whole of the world tries to do good deeds to access heaven. And we know this is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Is that all right? Okay. So I'm not preaching a good deeds gospel here. I'm saying Jesus is the way. He's the starting point. He's the foundation. But the other side of faith in Jesus Christ is good deeds. And that's how light is shone. Many conversations, yes, but also morality check, changing toward Goodness. The third and final point that we see is be prepared for persecution. Jesus help us. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know, there's some people in life, they love persecution. I just think they, they're like five-star Christian because I'm being persecuted. And they do all sorts of crazy things because actually it's meant to be a hard life and I'm a battle axe for Christ. There's a bit of a balancing act to this. Actually, we love with truth. We don't just speak truth and actually have opposition all the way along. We don't just candy coat and love and just, it's, it's both and. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, when Jesus says, because of me, I, I want to encourage us is that there are going to be moments, there are going to be times where because of your faith in Jesus Christ, there's opposition. People don't accept you. We, we are having the time of our life leading this church in Durban. It has had many obstacles and many hardships personally and with the church. But the thing that we've loved so much is being salt and light in a culture where people are, they oppose Christ, etc. But not everyone wants to be your friend, right? And God has allowed us into various avenues of society with our kids and with sport and with uh, schools and it's glorious. But there's every now and again, I just realize that actually I'm altogether different from these people that we're friends with. And it's because of the things I say, it's because of the, the way that the room changes when you walk in and it's because of what people actually think. And you know what? It's okay. I love the word that came about hope. Because I love sports, I love cricket, I love rugby. In fact, my son, he's been playing while we've been worshiping. I've been trying not to look at the score. Holier than thou out there. As a father, you, you, you're invested in your children. And you know what I've learned is that at, at the end of every weekend of sport, I come to this conclusion. Thank God that I have eternal hope. Because sport is passing. My kid went out for a duck. And this, that, and the next thing. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. What, how do we adopt an approach when, when we are persecuted? John 20 verse 19 says this, Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever you forgive is forgiven. See, forgiveness is one of the ultimate tools that God gives us when we're being persecuted to breathe his life. Whoever you forgive is forgiven. It's like he's saying, you choose to forgive over here. Barry's persecuting me. I choose to forgive over there. Forgiveness knocks at the door of Barry's life. And we see that in scripture with Stephen when he's stoned in Acts chapter 7, I think it is. He says, Father, don't hold this against them. It says Saul was watching on. He had initiated this persecution against the Christians. And soon after that, Paul comes to faith and becomes this great apostle. What happened there? There's a possibility that as Stephen chose to forgive, that forgiveness came to Saul knocked at his door and confronted him actually that this is real. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me. When they see me through a crucified you, there's a power that is released. 
I want to end this morning. Maybe the band can come forward. And I want to have a look at some images that about a week ago took place in Durban, maybe 10 days. We had a giant storm that took place and uh, looked out the window and there was this amazing rainbow. And I'm going to just turn, turn back here. Maybe you can bring up the first image. That's, a, that's from my house. A beautiful rainbow. Maybe the next image, please. We were going to friends for dinner. That's another angle of the same rainbow. Went all the way across there. That's Broadway at the robot as we stopped. I got that through my closed window. Here's an artist's take on it. Next picture. It was a double rainbow. Someone took that. Next image. That's another image of the rainbow. Maybe the last one there. That's another one there. Maybe you can bring up that, the, the last image. It's a slide. I don't know too much about how light works, but this is an image that someone sent me, which I thought was pretty profound. Sunlight, as it goes through the water droplets, something happens and color is presented. You see, what, what happens in persecution, I think, power is released. There's a blessing that's released. And God looks at my life and your life and he says, actually, your life has got potential and your life, I want to use it. There is hope. There is a plan. You don't see it right now. You don't understand it. I didn't understand my little health issue, but I chose to believe this, God. If I can just be an instrument in your hand, uh, that, that would be, what a privilege. And this image over here, for me, you and I are the water droplet, drenched just, it's possibly dark and gloomy. Doesn't look like there's a whole lot ahead. And we don't always understand what God's doing through us. I really felt for this morning that God wants to encourage people here. Is that the, the light that he would like to shine through your life presents the most amazing picture to others that you don't even see. If you'll just embrace it. And what that means is to hold on when it feels like I can't hold on any longer, trusting that actually, God, you're doing something that I can't understand right now. And actually, I live not for my own end. I live for the benefit of others. I live for, I live for this world. If we don't live for this world, he would have taken us to be with him. And so I, I really want to encourage us to, to this morning. There would be some here that you are at the juncture of light and the water drop and you say it just feels like I'm drowning and God says trust me trust me trust the power trust the the release that's happening by my spirit let's stand together we're going to pray